We're going to read tonight uh, Luke chapter 12 and verses 15 through 21, and we'll be talking then tonight about uh, the foolish farmer. But starting in verse 15, uh, it says, uh, well, let's start at the beginning of the paragraph, verse 13. It says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made, thee a, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for your goodness and for your love to us. We thank you, Father, for this perfect book that you've given to us and supplied, and Father, for that which men over the years have died to hand down to the next generation. And so, Father, tonight help us not to take it for granted, but help us to take seriously the words that we read, as indeed they are, the word of God, the words of God. Burn them into our hearts tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read the scriptures, there is only one interpretation, one proper and correct interpretation. But there can be several applications, or indeed many applications. But the text here is not in question because it's very plain what it says. But I want to talk to you tonight about this fella and point out some things um, about uh, this situation. We call, I call him the foolish farmer. And uh, indeed, he, it does appear that uh, he was a little bit greedy. There are a couple of words here um, that, that uh, the Lord introduced us with in verse 15. <coughs> and he said unto them, Take heed and beware. And the words take heed means simply to watch out. The word uh, beware, uh, that means to be on your guard. And so you're to uh, watch out and be on your guard about covetousness. The word covetousness simply means the desire to have more at somebody else's expense. And um, so understand, though, that this is not entrepreneurial ship. And this is not the free enterprise system that he's talking about here, but he's really talking about greed. It could actually, I suppose, uh, uh, we could consider that uh, a meaning of the word covetous. But Jesus is saying here to be careful and to watch out because greed 
can make your life miserable. I heard about a mother that, uh, or a little boy, I guess he was just a toddler or maybe crawling around, maybe he hadn't even started to walk yet, and he found a nickel in the, on the living room uh, floor on the carpet that somebody had dropped there, and he, of course, kids put everything in their mouth, right, and he put this nickel in his mouth and swallowed it. And the mother was horrified and didn't know what to do, and so uh, she called her husband up and she said, uh, what will I do? Um, he, he swallowed a nickel. And, she, and the, the husband said, well, I don't know. Why don't you pick him up by his ankles and shake him and see if he'll come out? And so he, she picked the little boy up and shook him, and instead of a nickel coming out, two quarters came out. And uh, the mother said, two quarters came out, what will I do? And the father said, keep feeding him nickels. Uh, so a little bit of greed, right, at somebody else's expense, the, the poor kid there. So that's the idea that I want to try to get across here to us of, of the idea of greed. And there's, there are three things that this foolish farmer didn't understand that I want us to think about this evening in the time that remains. The first thing that he didn't understand was he didn't understand ownership. Didn't understand ownership. Now the Bible teaches us that God owns everything that there is. Notice one thing about this man if you, as you read this text that there's, there are three things that don't exist in, in this man's life at least in the text as, as we read it here. First of all, there's no praising in his life. There's no record here recorded that he even acknowledged God's blessing upon him in a material way. Now, the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8, verses 17 through 18 says this, And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That man apparently either didn't understand that, but he certainly didn't praise God for where the wealth that he had, uh, wherever it, however he had gotten it, obviously from farming in this case. In the New Testament, the book of James chapter 1 and verse 17 speaks a parallel verse to Deuteronomy chapter 8, 17 and 18. James 1, 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. But this man totally missed that, was totally blind to the fact that God is the giver of everything that is good. And apparently he felt like he had uh, produced all of this wealth upon his nose, never giving thought to the fact that it was God that caused the uh, the grain to germinate in the ground. It was God that sent the rain. It was God that sent the sunshine. It was God that brought the harvest in. But he didn't seem to didn't seem to acknowledge that. There was no praising in his life. Secondly, there was no praying in his life. And look at verse 17, if you would, there. It says there in verse 17, and he thought within himself. And so here he's not speaking to the Lord. He's just Speaking to himself, he's thinking to himself. There's no praying in his life. And um, so he, he wouldn't ask. He wouldn't come to the place where he would ask and say, God, what would you have me to do with these material things that you have given to me? No, there's not this fellow. He's a foolish farmer. There's no praying in his life. And thirdly, there's no sharing in his life. 
Look at verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will bestow all my gifts and my goods. And in a very stingy and selfish way, he's making preparation to save all of this harvest and all of this increase uh, for himself. I'm sure that there were a lot of people around in that day that had needs that he could have met. He could have perhaps uh, just looked around a little bit and found some people he, he, whom he could have alleviated some pain from their lives. But instead of doing that, he's concerned only about himself and what makes him happy as he prepares on for the future. Now, here's some things that uh, we know that God has created uh, all things to give. And I want you to think about this. God is a giving God. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so uh, not only that, but uh, Jesus is a giving Savior. He loves us and gave himself for us. God created the sun, and it gives light. God created trees, and they give us shade and fruit. God created the streams of water, and they give us water, fresh water. God created the soil, and it gives a harvest. God created cows, and they give milk. And um, God created you, and he created me to give. Just like everything else, just like the nature of God and the things that he has created are all created to give, so are you and I created to give. If I were talking to a bunch of northerners, I would remind them of the fur harvest in the far north. There's a little furry animal there called a pine marten. Uh, if you found it on the market, it might go under the name of sable, but uh, that's what the Russians call it actually. But it gives fur. They trap the marten, and it gives its fur. It's in the category of what we would call fine fur. In other words, it's not coarse like a raccoon or a possum would be, but it's fine fur. Mink would be in that category as well. And uh, mink is a water animal, while pine marten, are, they live in the pine trees. They hunt mice and moles and little animals like that and birds and so forth. And uh, they're, they're, both the mink and the marten are amazing uh, animals. The caribou out on the tundra in the far north are hunted by the people, and they give of their meat, as do the moose that are down in the valleys and down in the water and eat the water plants. They are hunted there, and they give of their meat. And northerners would understand that the creation of God in the animal world, he created that we might exploit them and uh, might, uh, that they might give of the abundance. As a matter of fact, when people in that area of the world, before the, go before the gospel comes to them and a correct understanding of, of who God is and what God is like is preached unto them and they get a hold of that idea, oftentimes when traditionally they would kill an animal, they would actually leave something, some kind of a little reminder up in a tree close by or somewhere on a willow down on the ground if it was caribou thanking the creator God that they would know in their limited way for them, for, for that animal giving itself to them is the way they would talk about it. And so really some of the natural revelation that the world sees declares that God is a giving God and his creation is a giving creation. 
in the Sea of Galilee, we find that it is a freshwater sea, and out of the Sea of Galilee flows a river called the Jordan River, and it flows into the Dead Sea. And my, what a difference between those two bodies of water. The Sea of Galilee, being fresh, has an inlet, and it also has an outlet. But the Dead Sea only has an inlet as it takes water from the Jordan River coming into it and the surrounding hillsides as the runoff comes down to there. We can understand something, that the Dead Sea is actually a very rich body of water. The, uh, the salt content and the mineral content, they say, uh, is, uh, I mean, it's just astronomical, the, uh, the, the value of it and the worth of it. It's worth a lot of money, but it's dead. And somehow we don't get a hold of that idea very well in America because our motto has become get all you can and can all you get. And we've become dead. We can become dead just like the Dead Sea is if there's no outlet, if we don't allow ourselves to be a channel through, whom which, uh, through, through which God can give to others. And so Patrick Henry said, Give me liberty or give me death. The next generation said, give me liberty. Our generation says, give me. Because we have become the gimme generation. Well, what's wrong with this guy in our text here tonight? Well, this man, first of all, he doesn't understand ownership. He doesn't understand that God owns everything. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14 says this, Behold, the heaven and heavens of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also and all that dwell and all that therein is. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The point being that God owns everything. And that'll bring us a little bit to a, down to our, our down to our next point in just a second here. But the fact of the matter is, as God owns everything, He actually owns me, and He owns you. And First uh, Corinthians chapter six and verses nineteen and twenty says this: "Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's." Now, that's obviously written to the church at Corinth. He's addressing their believers, and he's reminding them that they're not their own simply because they've been bought and paid for with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, even before salvation, we are still God's. And it, uh, we, we, that is, we belong to God. Let me rephrase that so we understand what I'm saying. We belong to God because he is our creator. It's sort of like I think you've probably heard me tell the story before of the little boy that uh, carved a, a sailing ship and got some uh, some old worn-out bed sheet or something and fashioned a little sail out of it. and He loved to play with that, and he would take it down to the seashore, and he would sail his little boat around there in the surf. And one day an offshore wind came and blew his little boat out to where he couldn't reach it anymore. And he stood there with the tears running down his face as he saw his little boat sail out, of, sail out of sight. About two weeks went by. I was passing by a um, second-hand store, 
there in the window of the second-hand store, he saw his boat. And he went in to the store and talked to the store owner, to the manager there, and told him that that's my boat. I built that boat. I made that boat. And those sheets my mother gave to me, she was she was going to throw them away. But I, I was able to get them and made the sails. And all of that rigging is from from uh, yarn and things that, that I was able to get around the house. And, and that's my boat. Can I have my boat back, mister, please? The store owner said, I'm sorry, son. But he said a fisherman scooped that boat up two miles out at sea and brought it into me and offered it for sale. And I paid $20 for the boat. And I'll tell you this, that I, if you want to buy that boat back, I'll take it out of, the, out of the storefront window and I'll put it in the back and I'll keep it until you can get the money together. And so the little boy said, okay, but really inside he had no idea where he was going to get the money. And yet he was able to get a little job here and a little job there and, and uh, got some money for his birthday and so forth, you know, like that. And I don't know, maybe some teeth fell out in the way and he, you know, got money for his teeth too. But anyway, finally came up with the $20. And he went in and pre presented it to the man. The man looked at the $20 and he said, ah, yes, now I remember you. He went in the back and he brought the boat out and gave it to the little boy. And the little boy, as he's walking out the door, he said, little boat, now you're mine twice. You were mine because I made you, but now you're mine because I bought you back. And that's very much the picture of us as Christians. Yes, even the unsaved belong to God because he created them. But we are doubly owned by God because of the ransom price of the Lord Jesus Christ that was paid on the cross of Calvary. And then as, and then, and then as the Savior entered into the very holy of holies and there upon the mercy seat in heaven, he supplied the blood. And the Bible teaches us that God was propitiated. In other words, he was satisfied with the sacrifice of the blood of Christ. And he sort of looked down, and I mean no disrespect, but he may have even said, the Lord may have looked at the blood and said, well, that'll work. That'll suffice. That will purchase the souls of mankind. And so you and I, because of the great cross work of Jesus, were twice owned by him. But this man knows nothing of that. If he does, he certainly is not acknowledging anything of that. He really knows nothing about ownership. The second thing about this man is he knows nothing about partnership. Partnership is a very important lesson to learn. Now, the Bible says this, and I want you to think about this, Christian. I want you to think about the fact that we have the awesome and the wonderful privilege of partnering with God in the greatest work that can possibly exist, the seeking of the souls of men and women. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, we are laborers together with God. Now that's partnership. And the idea that I take from this is that it's sort of like a, a yoke. We, we read about uh, yoke in, uh, yokes in the Word of God. And um, in fact, um, in the New Testament, the word yoke is found only six times. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew chapter 11, and I want us to see something there. Matthew chapter 11. 
And uh, in verses 29 and 30, Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30, we see a phrase, a, a two-word phrase here. It occurs once in verse 29 and once in verse 30. And the phrase is, my yoke. And this is the only place in Scripture in these two verses, it's the only place in the entire Bible where the term, my yoke, appears. And look at what he says there. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I don't know what you think about that, but here's the picture that I get of that. I see the Savior with a, with a, a yoke, and he's in one side of it. He's inviting believers. He's inviting me. He's inviting you to come and to partner with him and to yoke up with him, to link up with him. He says, as he, as he says it, it can't be said any clearer, clearer, plainer than there, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Now, normally when we think of a yoke, we think of oxen who are draft animals who pull and, and haul heavy loads. And yet Jesus here very clearly says in the next verse, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the promise that he makes here is if we'll partner with him, if we'll take, take the yoke and get in the yoke with him, he says, ye shall find rest for your souls. And to me, it's almost like the Lord saying, if you want release from the rat race and from the, and, and from the, the, the pressure of society, of, of bills that have to be paid and so on and so forth, to me, he's saying, that ye shall find rest for your souls in the yoke with me. And oh, I think that this man missed the boat because he knew nothing of partnership. I think that um, in verse 19, he says this, I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And he mistakes his body for his soul. I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. You see the confusion in his mind there? He's mixed up about the difference between the body and the soul. He thinks that he is all body. He may think that he, he may even think he doesn't have a soul. Well, it's true, the body is important. Mayo Clinic did a study and they found out that your body has enough sulfur to rid a small dog of fleas. It has enough phosphorus for one match. It has enough calcium to whitewash a chicken coop. It has enough fat for six bars of soap. With the exception of some of you young men in here, Bradley, now he's not going to get a whole bar of soap out of that kid's <laughs> pure skin and bones. But listen to me. Live a few years, you'll get like the rest of us, old and fat one day. <laughs> but, a, but the average body has enough fat for six bars of soap, enough sugar to sweeten five cups of coffee. They don't know the women in this church. You know, there's enough in there to, to sweeten 100 cups of coffee, right? Come on, ladies, I'm trying to help you here. <laughs> The average person has enough iron for one large nail. 
enough nitrogen to blow up a house, enough hydrogen to fill two five-gallon water pails, and your total value for all of this together is about 98 cents. So ladies, next time you're thinking about a new hairdo, you stop and think real hard about putting a hundred bucks on a ten cent head. <laughs> Yale University ran another different study. Theirs came out really the other end of the spectrum. Biochemist in Yale came up with this. It's your body has hemoglobin worth about $285 a gram. Insulin at $50 a gram, human DNA $76 a gram, nitro or amino acids $1,200 a gram, and enzymes worth $9,000 a gram. So a 168-pound man would cost about $6 million. Maybe that's where the $6 million man came from, I'm not sure. But the point is that the body is worth something. I mean, God gave us a body, amen? We all have a body. But when we understand the um, concept of partnership, which our foolish farmer had no understanding of, apparently, we understand that there's much more to life than just the physical. There's also the supernatural. Human being can link himself up in partnership with God and he can be involved in the supernatural. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you involved in anything that's supernatural? What are you talking about? Well, I'm thinking about the outreach of this church. You folks from Calvary, the outreach of Calvary. <clears throat> when someone gets saved, that's supernatural. It's a miracle work of God. Are you involved in what God's doing? Are you partnering with God? Well, our foolish farmer in our text tonight is focused on the material rather than on the spiritual. And it's so sad. Verse 19 says there, he says, I will say to my soul, you have much. In verse 20, if you look at that, please, and I get back to the right uh, the right page here. Luke chapter 12. I've lost it. <clears throat> but Luke chapter 12 and verse, uh, verse 20. <coughs> God said unto him, Thou fool. But why does God call this man a fool? Well, keep your finger because we'll need to come back there. But let's go back to Matthew in chapter 6 there for a moment. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, Matthew 6 and verse 19. And, and the Lord says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Now, let me just tell you a little story here. So forgive the personal story, but I don't know your story, or I might tell it, but I'll tell mine that when I was a young man, by the way, before I, let me, let me preface this and, and uh, get your opinion on this. Do you think it's okay, and do you think it's a wise thing 
to make preparation for the day in which you might not be able to work, that you might have some kind of retirement fund. Are we okay? We're in agreement that that would be a good thing to do. Well, Barbara and I thought so. And so one of our supporting churches had a man that was into investing money and showing people how to do it and how to set up a retirement fund. And so um, we didn't have any life insurance at that point. We were just getting ready to go off to the mission field. And so we talked to this man, or actually he approached us and asked us if we had any kind of life insurance policy or did uh, we have any kind of retirement plan. And I said, no, we don't have anything. And because uh, when we started Calvary Baptist Church, I mean, it was we were doing good to ha- keep beans on the table in a regular way, you know. And uh, so I said, no, we don't have anything. And he said, you need not to leave for the mission field until you take care of both of those things. And so he set us up with some term life, which is the cheapest kind of life insurance you can buy, and I believe in it. I think that that's the best way to buy life insurance. And um, set it up to where it was going to be worth so much if I got, you know, killed accidentally. And so it went like it went like this, and then we started at the same time. We started a retirement fund, and it went like this, and they kind of, those two, when you graphed it, it kind of crossed in the middle. And that retirement fund at that point looked like it would be greatly sufficient to take care of us in old age. But the importance of what Jesus is saying here, he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. And the thief of inflation has broken through and what looked like was going to be a lot of money when I reached age 65. I could probably, it would probably, if I continued with my life the way it is right now, would probably only last three, five years at the most. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a retirement program. I think you should. I think that that's a wise thing to do. I think that the scripture speaks to us about making preparation for future things like that. I'm good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we did it. But what I'm saying is you better have a better plan than just laying away some money because the thief of inflation or some other thief is going to break through and is going to steal it. And it will end up being unsatisfying for you. And so what is my real plan behind plan that isn't going to supply much? My real plan is, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This farmer didn't think of that. He knew nothing. He he understood nothing about ownership. He understood nothing about partnership. The third thing that he didn't understand anything about, he didn't understand anything about stewardship. And, of course, we think that um, all of this really fits together. I suppose that these, there's such overlap in these three points. It's, it's amazing, actually. But a little boy was asked of his definition of stewardship. He had heard, it, heard his Sunday school teacher talking about it. 
he had sat in the uh, mission conference and he'd heard the missionaries and the missionary speakers talk about stewardship and he was asked what was his definition of stewardship and this is what he came up with. It's pretty good. He said stewardship means that life is like a big ship loaded with rich cargo giving to many people in many different places. God is the owner of the ship. I am the captain of the ship. And one day, God's going to check to see how well I did my job. Now think about that. Because surely, God is one day going to check to see how we did our job as stewards. Stewardship simply means, I guess, you know, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but it simply means that there's an accounting time coming for us. Look at verse 12 in Luke chapter 12 again. Look at verse 20 again. It says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So God showed up at this man's door, came like a clap of thunder, came like a bolt of lightning. This man may have never thought about God, and if he had, he may have pushed the thought of God out of his mind. But God was still thinking about him. He may not have thought about God and his plan for his life, just like you may not have thought too much about God's plan for your life. This man had not perhaps thought about it in a long time, but God was thinking about him. God showed up. We understand from this that God has an accounting time. So this particular night, I want you to kind of think with me about this, and I'm not sure it was really happened exactly like this, but it may have. It's late at night. This guy's sitting over his computer with his Excel spreadsheet there and going over the numbers very carefully. Has a blueprint beside him on the table behind him of the bigger barns that he's had designed for his farm. He has a planting plan all laid out and how he's going to increase his acreage and plant more crops. About that time, an unseen hand knocks on the door. The man says, who is there? The answer is, I'm death. I've come for your soul. Man says, tomorrow. Death says, tonight. The man says, later on this evening. The man says, death says, now. He clutches his heart and slumps to the ground. God says he was a fool because he didn't understand stewardship. He didn't understand that there was going to be an accounting time. One of these days, God's going to show up for you, and he's going to show up for me. Every tick of the clock, you and I are closer and closer to the accounting time. Listen to these verses, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. They shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Matthew 28, verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, 
which would take account of his servants. Luke 16, verse 2. It says, And he called them and said unto them, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. How many of you have heard of the train company called R.J. Corman? Ever seen his locomotives or anything like that? Um, he has his, even has his own color of red. His... his uh, Engines are painted fire engine red. And um, he's a very, very rich man, but he was not saved. He was probably a multimillionaire, maybe a billionaire, I don't know. <coughs> but he lived in a town where there was a preacher that cared for the souls of people. This preacher's name you're going to recognize. This preacher's name was Lonnie Moore. Matter of fact, you have some of his music in the back here, Brother Moore. And Brother Moore made an appointment with R.J. Corman. He went to his place of business to talk to him about his eternal soul. The man listened to him, but he blew him off and wouldn't get saved. And just Wednesday or uh, Thursday morning, I learned that R.J. Corman went out into eternity a couple of years ago. A miserable, wretched old man. And just like this farmer, he was foolish because he wouldn't do right with that which God had entrusted him with. And so what I want us to think about tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't talked a lot about the mission field and missions, but we've talked about something that greatly affects the, the world's mission field. And that is the matter of stewardship. Because like it or not, as much as we would like to spiritualize and, um, you know, the, uh, the, the job of missions and missionaries, the fact of the matter is that there is a side of it that must be run with business sense. Missionaries cannot go to the field and drink and eat air. They have to have food just like you and I do. They're not some kind of super spiritual thing that the ravens come and feed and drink from a brook cherub, like Elijah did. And the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that if we intend to increase, as the world's population continues to increase, it's over 7 billion now, soon to be 8 billion, I wonder if we're actually content with what we're doing. Or could we ask the Lord to increase our vision, to increase our burden? to teach us something about ownership and something about partnership and something about stewardship, that we might realize that we're just here to be a channel just like the Jordan River, the water flows out of the Sea of Galilee, it ends up, it flows through the river, and it flows into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea may be wealthy, but it's dead. God help us as believers not to design and not to desire to be wealthy and end up in so doing being dead like R.J. Corman was and like this foolish farmer was. Because one thing is sure, there's coming a day when our soul will be required and we will give account. This church is blessed by some of the missionaries. I see your board back there excluding myself. You have some of the greatest missionaries I believe that I know 
you know, I'm not going to name them tonight, but uh, many of them I see, you know, and boy, what a terrific job they're doing. You have the privilege of being an active, uh, taking an active role in what's happening on the mission field. And it might seem to you like, what, what possible difference can we make in a, in a world of almost 8 billion people? Can I say to you tonight that you are making a difference? You talk to Kevin Jones, and you talk to uh, some of the others uh, that you that you support. I see that you have Justin Levine's card over here. I don't know whether you support him or not, but I suppose he's been here, has he? And uh, listen, these are quality people. The other missionaries that you support are quality folks that want to serve God and want to increase their outreach. And so many times the problem is that there's we're limited on what we can do. Somebody said to me one day, they said uh, they were describing a missionary and told me, they, they mentioned his name. I don't recall his name anymore, but I recall his, his field. And this pastor thought he was paying the man a compliment. He said, he's the kind of a guy you can give him $5,000 and five years later he'll still have half of it left. Well, I don't think that's a compliment. Somebody said to me, how much money do you think you need? And I said, all I can get because the more money I have, the further I can reach with the gospel of Christ. So I'm not about hoarding money. I'm about spending it and making a plan so that the gospel can continue to go even after I'm gone. I realized that, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you a secret. I just got over, I was talking with the one or one visitor, I've forgotten your name now, brother, about to, yeah, and uh, we were talking about kidney stones. He said he just got rid of one. And um, I said, well, I just got rid of one too. Uh, mine was a whopper. It was seven millimeters by 10 millimeters. I told somebody one day, I was telling them about it, and I said, yeah, it was big. It was seven kilometers by 10 kilometers. My wife started to laugh, and she said, stop and think about that. Well, it was really big. <laughs> but I finally got that thing taken care of, and I feel better than I've felt in two years. But I know this, that when you get something wrong with you, and you realize that I might be winding down and soon be facing the Lord, that's how bad I felt that it changes your perspective about how you're going to do with things God has entrusted you with. Sunday's coming. When are we going to take Sunday morning? We're going to take up the faith promise commitment? Next Sunday. Okay, thank you for that. Um, and the reason I like that is because <coughs> that gives us time to digest everything we've heard during the conference, pray about the figure that we believe God's burdening us about, and would have us would be pleased to have us write down on the card and to you know to be able to do that in a more leisurely fashion rather than feeling pressured or pressed to just get it done right now but you know when you make decisions as important as this sometimes you make the wrong decision just because of you're in a hurry about it so i like that but as you face this, I want you to think about the possibility of ownership and the possibility of, of uh, partnership. 
what a what what a what an outstanding thought is it not that God desires to partner with us with me as an individual with you as an individual how good is that how much better can it get than that partnering with the God of all of creation God Jesus Christ there in one side of the yoke and he invites me to come and he says come and partner with me take my yoke upon you and uh, but my yoke is easy my burden is light and what he's saying there is ladies and gentlemen just make yourself available i'll provide the power i'll provide the necess- necessary things to this but i have to have you to get in the burden to get in the yoke with me boy partnership with god is a tremendous thing and would to god that we could understand stewardship that God has entrusted me with what I have, that I might be a channel of blessing to pass it on to those who have not the fortune or not the blessing, I should say yet, of hearing the gospel and being saved. I wonder if we can imagine tonight what it must be like to be born in a dark land where there is no gospel. Can you imagine how horrible it would be to be born into a family, into a society, a culture, and a country where Islam is the predominant religion. And how dark and how foreboding, and yet we have an opportunity to reach them. And really, ladies and gentlemen, as we, as Lighthouse Baptist Church here, gets ready for the next year, and, of course, you know how this works, that faith, promise, commitment is all about the coming year and what you're going to do. I like to think of it this way. It's like a business meeting. This, this conference is like a business meeting, and in it, you're deciding financially what you're going to be able to, to send to the mission field and the missionaries that you're going to support. I don't know what pastor's thinking. He may be thinking of increasing the missionaries you have, or he may be thinking of taking on some of the others that you've not been able to yet. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity lies on our doorstep to be able to reach out to the lost and dying of the world. The ownership of God, him inviting me to partner with him, and then him holding me responsible for the stewardship for that which he's entrusted me with. What a great God we have and what privilege we're invited to serve him. May God help us tonight as we think upon these things. Let's bow our heads.